It's so lovely. People talk about that. And I, to this day, have no idea what I said. Welcome to Off Book, a podcast from The Young Vic, where we have conversations with creatives who have recently inspired us with their work here. My name is Dan Delamotte, and I am so genuinely excited and thrilled to be sat opposite a royalty of stage and Ooh. screen, Sharon D. Clark. Sharon, thank you so much for joining oh, us. Oh, it's an Off absolute Book. pleasure. Absolute pleasure, my darling. I want to start talking to you about growing up and growing up in Tottenham. Mm. And when, when, what age were you when you realised that you had the ability to just make people fall in love with you when you performed in front of them? Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um, I started singing when I was six. A um, mate of mine from school was going to a place called Ivy Travers Dance School, which was in Lower Clapton, just up the road in Stamford Hill. As a Tottenham boy, you will know that. Yeah, you slipped and, actually. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and so I, I went to Ivy's, um, started doing that, like I said, when I was six and did my first show at Bose Civic Centre and just fell in love. It's just like, this is what I want to do. Um, feel very blessed and privileged to have found my particularly particular calling very early on do you know what I mean so I yeah, was doing Ivies and doing the shows and I went to school and did all of that I went to Anna Shares um, from about the age of 13 14 and everything was gearing me towards having a career in this industry my parents did say to me that they wanted me to have some kind of fallback because they knew that this this wonderful industry of ours could be precarious so um, the only other thing that I do really really love is people and so I trained as a social worker so that's the one thing I'm trained in I'm not trained in acting at all apart from going to Anna's and doing improv and bits and pieces of that I'm not a Rada girl or a Guildford girl or you know Bristolovic I haven't come through it that route and so as someone who comes from Tottenham to be able to say to inner city kids listen you don't necessarily have to go through that route to attain your dream if you pursue it with all the vigor and verve in your heart and find those inroads and you have more inroads than I did at that time because you have the internet which will tell you where stuff is happening you know you can find that I had to leaf through the stage <laughs> and see all those kind of things but you know it can be done you can follow your dream and you can be a Tottenham girl like me or a Tottenham boy and do what you want to do. Follow your dreams, babe. That lack of training must have put you at a bit of a disadvantage, though, starting off. Well, I didn't know any different. So, and I think you learn on the job. I think there is something to be said about being in the industry and learning from your peers and your mentors and, and people who take that baton and hand it on to you and you learn your craft that way. Uh, that's just It's just what I know. Do you know what I mean? And I... I Drama schools, of course, everyone must learn their craft. But I think when you get out of drama school and you get your first job, that's when you really start learning your craft because that's, that's where the journey truly begins. And I will always say to young aspiring performers, get a job ushering. Usher, for God's sake, get out there. You get a little bit of money in your pocket, but you also get a masterclass each night for free. Take a different actor, watch them each night. How do they perform? Uh, are they generous? Are they selfish? Do they upstage? Do you know all that kind of stuff? What is it about their performance that makes you lean in? What is it that makes you dress back? Do you like what they do? That Do you know do, how do they make you feel? All those kind of things. And if you're ushering, you can do that on all the shows with all the actors and take your time and just really learn and soak it up. 
and it's a it's a great way of just discovering what you want to do and and how to do it and and seeing it in motion. Did you wash it? I I luckily enough I didn't because <laughs> I, I I started jobbing straight away. Oh, I was really really lucky. Um, um, like I said, I went to Anna's, I went to social work college. I was sat in the common room at college waiting for my results, and there was a copy of the stage. Why there was a copy of the stage, I have no idea, but I picked it up, thumbed through it. There was a job going at Batsy Art Centre. I applied for it, got my equity card. Thank you, Jude Kelly, because it was Jude Kelly that was advertising that job. Got my equity card and literally left college on the Monday and started working as an actor on the Tuesday. So I didn't necessarily have to go through that route because I was just working. But it's it's something that I, I, I would say to all young people. It's the, the one brilliant thing that you can do for yourself and get paid a little money while you're learning. But it sounds like your career, Sharon, was planned by the gods or planned by some sort of force above that there you are, you find a copy of the stage, it's open, it tells you that there's a job going at Battersea Arts mm-hmm. Centre. What was that job? It was a job called Southside. Um, Jude Kelly was directing. I remember at that time, um, to get your equity card, you'd have to do 40 weeks worth of work. And a lot of people were doing TIE, theory and education, in order to do that. And I was very lucky because I got my card with that job and I didn't have to do the, the 40 weeks. I got my full equity card. So I was really, really lucky, really, really lucky. And people have been enormously generous to me along the way. And you know, people like... Norman Beaton and Carmen Monroe and, and Mona Hammond, you know, all these people have passed the baton on to me. Kate Williams and Ginger from um, Stratford East, uh, uh, Theatre Royal Stratford East. You know, I did a lot of Sunday variety shows at Stratford East, working with older actors like Miriam Carlin and, like I said, Kate Williams and all these great comedy, dramatic, musical artists. and. You know, they all sat and chatted with me and passed that baton on and, and supported me and support me still. Do you know what I mean? It's fantastic. When we, I was doing Caroline or Change in Chichester, um, I'm just coming off from the break and I just hear, Sharon, Sharon, Sharon. And I look around and it's Kate Williams and she's running through the car park to come and see me. And it's just, you know, people have been fabulous. And so it is my duty to then pass that baton on you know and then when I see people coming up like Shirelsky and Rinze Kenny and Martins who's in our show it's just it's wonderful to be working with these young people who are seizing the opportunity and making networks among themselves you know Shirelsky has started this thing called Black Dress where she gets young black actresses together to chat about the industry and it's and, and to you know put their plays on and to have forums where they can discuss their work and it's it's brilliant to see that happening. Absolutely brilliant. It gives me so much joy. And she was in Fun Home here. Yes, uh, last, yes, last yes, summer. yes. Um, you mentioned Battersea Arts Centre, which is a great building, yeah. but a building which is even closer to my heart and yours, I think, is the Hackney Empire. Oh <laughs> yes, that's home. That's you home. say it's that home. Has been what home. does Hackney Empire mean to you? Um, Hackney Empire. So much, so much. So before I even started working there, Hackney Empire is a place that my mum and dad used to go dancing. So they, it was very well loved by them. And then when it stopped being a dance hall and it became a bingo hall, my dad used to frequent it then quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> was he lucky? Was he, 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 was, he was always coming home going, oh, one number, just one number. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's some, a place that's been in my family for quite a while. And then um, I started doing pantos there in 99. And what is Susie's, I think this year, it's her 21st panto. And I have done, well, 20 of them, 
Wow, 20 at the end. It's either 20 or 19. And it's... Not in them every year. So I did Cinderella was my first one, 99, which is when Susie and I met properly, fell in love, got married on Hackney Empire stage. Incredible. So this is your wife, Susie McKenna. My, yes, who writes and directs and produces the Hackney Empire Panto for the last 21 years now, <laughs> as well as other great stuff. We are about to start working at the Kiln together doing Blues in the Night. She's going to be directing. So I'm very excited about, about that as well. And it's it's wonderful working with Susie. People are always like... Is it really difficult working with your wife? And I, no, we met working, and I <laughs> fell in love with her because I loved the way she worked. So working with her is, is an absolute joy. So it must have been so special to actually get married in that oh, building as well. Yeah, it was wonderful. We got married on the stage, um, looking out into the auditorium on Father's Day because we both don't have our fathers anymore. So that was our way of having them represented there, and it was just the most wonderful day of my life. You know, I was wearing purple, she wore blue. We don't have to, you know, <laughs> no constraints. So we did our own thing. And it was it was great. It was absolutely great. And not one wor worrying about, okay, how many people can we invite? So we had the wedding party on the stage and then we just filled the stalls with people in the evening. Amazing. And it was fab. We just had a great party in the cabaret because all our friends are, you know, artists and musicians and stuff. So we had Clark Peters and Peter Straker singing. And, you know, it was Tamika, who's people now know as, as Kim from EastEnders. Her and our little brother Carl, they did a skit from Chicago. And it was it was mad and wonderful and exciting and just glorious. Another one of your long-term collaborators, I don't know if he was there or not, is Clive Rowe. Uh, at our wedding, of course he was. Great. He excellent. sang at our wedding. <laughs> he sang at our wedding. Now, I love Clive Rowe, uh, and he won a pantomime award uh, this year. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, yes, show. of course I, I know. I was there. I was there in the audience watching know. him collect that pantomime award. I gave him a good whoop and a cheer. <laughs> uh, he must be a special person to collaborate with as oh, well. Oh, I've been collaborating with Clive ooh, 30 years now. We've done quite a few shows together, mm. and I'm really excited that we're going to be doing Blues together. Yes. It's just such fun do you know I mean? I'm working with my mates yeah. and then it's not like going to work every day it's going to play every day which is a completely different way of working <laughs> I know we'll laugh a lot <laughs> and we'll be singing you know Blues and Nights completely sung through so just to be singing with Clive is one of my deepest deepest joys people my generation sometimes know him best as in Tracy Beaker but he yeah. is such a fantastic performer with such oh, an incredible gosh, voice yeah. as well uh, and uh, is that the same production that was on at the Hackney Empire a couple of years back? Because you did Blues and Night there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did we did two short runs there. I think we did two nights and then we did just under a week. I think it was a year later. All about just getting it out there, trying to drum up some money and some interest. And so the fact that um, Indu Uba Singham has taken that on at the Kiln and we're going to be doing a proper run of it is wonderful. And to be like... The, the closing of that season, uh, of her first season as artistic director in that wonderful, beautiful new building. Mm -hmm. I kind of say to people, it's like the tricycle was the cocoon and the kiln is the butterfly. It's just beautifully that's, grown that's up, really beautifully grown up. It's, it's lovely. I promise you we will stop talking about pantomime very, very soon. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, go on. But my final question on pantomime for you, Sharon, is, is it more fun to be a goodie or a baddie? <clears throat> Oh, I don't know. I've only played one baddie. Yeah. Um, and Susie gave me my first baddie, first and only baddie so far in Carabos when she did Sleeping Beauty. Because I've seen her play the baddie as well. Oh, yeah. She, <laughs> she does good baddie. <laughs> she does really good baddie. Um, and they, they, both, they both have their merits. It just, 
I don't know. I I like the different aspects of each. I love the fact that Carabos was just so disrespectful of everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's queen fairy and that that all-consuming power is is a great thing to be playing with. But on the flip side, when I played Charity, um who was the the good witch when we did Mother Goose, one of the first things Susie did was she had me singing Shaka Khan's I'm Every Woman on a swing at the top of the theatre <laughs> and that's such a glorious feeling <laughs> I do that every weekend Sharon <laughs> baby it was just wonderful and to to have the magic and and I don't know I, I, I find it very hard it, it, there's different things that I love about both sometimes being the baddie can be quite cathartic because you can just take the way you're feeling out on people that day <laughs> but um, the love that Charity had and that thing of bringing people together in love is right down my street as a person, you know? So they both have their merits. Well, that fits in with the, your potential job if you hadn't become a performer, I suppose, as mm. well, and, and using using those skills of people personally yeah. and playing a goodie. Well, we'll move on from that from Pantos, but just on behalf of everyone that's <laughs> ever been to the Hanky Empire Panto, like me, a million times, thank you so much for creating this space, this, this incubator of community and, and society that all come there and we are regenerated by the performances oh, what is, of What's you really, really lovely is to talk to people who say, you know, I've been coming to the Panto since I was six, you know, and they've been coming now in 20 years. And that's, that's fabulous that we, that Susie has, has, has made this thing that captures young hearts and minds and imaginations from a very early age. Because, you know, those young, young Panto children, they are your theatre goes for the future. And I think if... If you don't get them young, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That they will invest in theatre in that way. Yeah. It's just just a beautiful way of getting them on board, yeah. you know. And it's what I love about Hackney is, you know, one 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 year, and it's not just one year particularly, but I just remember being on stage with Susie, and I, I think it was Mother Goose, and just looking out on the front row of the audience, and you know, there was a young white couple and an elder Jamaican couple and a Chinese couple and Jewish couple and all, all these different diverse facets of London, all with their heads thrown back in laughter at the same time. And you just think, these people are all so different and are sharing this experience in, in a way that I don't generally see that kind of eclectic diversity in theatre. And it just made me so proud of of what Susie's accomplished. You know what I mean? The fact that she has been very true to her local audience and understanding the diversity of her local audience and making practically everyone, because you can't please all the people all the time, but making practically everyone feel included and represented and thought about as a community. And I, I think that's just a wonderful... I'm very, very proud of her for doing that. As you should be. That's made me feel really tingly, that answer, Sharon. I'm not going to lie. That's fantastic. Um, let's move on, though, to talk about congratulations on winning your Olivier Award uh, for Caroline or Change. Or you're beaming in front of me. <laughs> and congratulations How could also... I not be? <laughs> I'm surprised you don't carry it around with you wherever you go. Uh, and also congratulations on your incredible speech, your, your winning speech on that stage. You know, it's really... It's so lovely. People talk about that. And I... To this day, I have no idea what I said. It wasn't planned? No. Gosh. I have no idea what I said. Um, I will be completely honest now and say that I thought it was going to Rosalie. 
that's that was my honest opinion. I was shocked when they said my name because it was like it's going to be Rosalie Craig. Go on, Rosalie, take it, babe, run with it. So uh, yeah, I was in in deep shock and have no idea what I said. And I'm glad people loved what I said, but I can't tell you. <laughs> it was like, thank you. <laughs> But you won it for Caroline or Change, which uh, performed at the Hampstead Theatre before moving to uh, Chichester. Well, no, we did Chichester first. Chichester first, and then came to Hampstead. Then Hampstead, yeah. and then to the Playhouse. And then to the Playhouse. I saw it in Hampstead and the Playhouse, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just following you about, Sharon. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. I'll take it. I'll take it. And uh, what was striking to me about that um, that show and your performance is that it's unfortunately very pertinent isn't it the, the topics in that in that play that you're that you're you're playing this this maid at a time of racial segregation mm. uh, which is obviously set in america we look at the situation in america with violence against people of color with the with the way that the police um, act with the current president of the united well, states the thing for us is that um the week that we opened in chichester was the week of the charlottesville riots and you kind of go all right this is a play written in 2003 about 1963 and it could not be more pertinent and that was what 2017 you just kind of think wow still here still here still going through that kind of madness and it's 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 one of the things of being a Londoner that I think for me when when the whole Brexit thing happened and you kind of think well I thought that most people felt and thought the way that I do and then you kind of realise actually being in London and living the way that we live we are actually in a bubble do you know what I mean and it's just the way the rest of the country thinks it I was just really saddened but you know like I said we opened in 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 Chichester and Charlottesville happened and that kind of stuff is still it's the way it is it's, it's so sad and so disheartening and, and frustrating you kind of think look at the states you go how can you've gone from obama to trump it could not be more different do you know what i mean that you know that bomb was that whole thing if you look at that when that's when you go look i can see the american dream working that someone can push through the glass ceiling and this can happen and it, it can be fair and it can be wonderful and and then you you go back to building walls and talking about hatred and segregating people and putting children in cages i mean it's just wow it's mind-blowing where we've gone. And, you know, I, I get really saddened because I, I, I kind of think when we don't have a body looking out at what we do and how we run our country, and, you know, whatever people want to say about the EU, you know, the EU has made universities and schools, you know, look at the Millennium Centre in Wales, that's EU money, um, minimum wage, women's rights, all of that pushed through by the EU, and I kind of think... You know, you look at the states and they've already pushed abortion rights back and you think, OK, when does that start happening over here? When do we start losing abortion rights? When do we start losing gay rights? When do you start losing um, racial rights? When do we start losing, 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 losing? Because there is no one saying, well, actually, no, you can't do that now. We're making our own laws, so we'll make our own laws. And they'll, I just kind of feel that they'll, we're just going to keep taking tens of thousands of steps back. What can we do then to try and halt that? How do we remain alert or vigilant? Or is, is there a role in theatre? The that? way that I do it is through theatre, through the stories that 
I choose and I'm able to be lucky enough to tell but hold up a mirror to society and hopefully make people think and feel in a different way and put themselves in someone else's situation so that you know, if we don't tell the stories and, and people are not hearing them, then, then we will continue to make the same mistakes. So that is my way of being political by doing the shows that I do. Do you think you're political with a big P? Or, or if that makes my sense? My wife is political with a big P. I'm political with a small P. <laughs> <laughs> I can't name all the names. Susie will sit down there and tell you who's doing what and why and when and where. I'm just like, uh, don't like that one. <laughs> don't like what he says. <laughs> and did that political context during the run of Caroline or Change inform or shape the way that you performed in that show? Yeah, most definitely. Because you kind of think, I'm not just telling a story and I'm not just telling a story that happened not so long ago. I'm telling a story that is very, very relevant today. And for women very very relevant today do you mean single mothers trying to bring up their kids and especially as a black single mother trying to build, bring up a child in a society that you know you're not numero uno you're not even numero three oh <laughs> i mean it's like women having to push those barriers in in all kinds of directions to hang on to them sense of selves their sense of self-worth to pass on good values and morals and joy to their their children you know it's we should really be in a much better place and not having to still have these conversations but we're still having them you know for every interview I have where people say to me so you know what's it like for black performers in the theatre today you know has it moved on and I'm just like if you're still having to ask me that then we haven't moved on. The minute that's not a com- part of the conversation, then that's we've sort of leapt that hurdle. Do you foresee that being the case at any time soon? <sighs> there does seem to be... It is moving along. I think what is happening is that it's not as fast as we would like it, and that every time you think that you've trodden a little ahead of the path that you you get steps back you know we all think it's going fantastic and then you know you look at the oscars and what year was it was it 2016 not one black nominee (laughs) not one and you think okay and you you talk about acts of change you talk about diversity and and then you get something like black panther which at the time biggest selling superhero movie of all time you think okay that's it and and then you get another step back and it's it's that swings and roundabout situation and you know people saying to me well what do we do about it I'm an actor trying to get a gig trying to put food on my table keep a roof over my head this conversation needs to happen with the casting directors it needs to happen with the producers we need to have more writers we need to have more people backstage in in positions of power that can actually implement change I can't do that by myself do you know what I mean I'm trying to get into a room. We need the people who are bringing people into the rooms to to think differently. And I I do remember a director saying, well, you know, well, I just go with the people that the casting director bring me. Then asked, asked to see people outside of that remit. It's within your power. So it's about people getting together and and seeing the situation and and doing what they can do and making it trickle down from there. Do you know what I mean? Or it's just going to have a bunch of, you know, people of colour actors out on the street with placards but what does that change and so white people in the industry need to be more aware and uh, prepared to listen to difficult truths yeah yeah 
and yeah. we can't have the status quo. It's just no. not. It's not sustainable. No. Is no. It? It's not sustainable. So no. going a step backwards, uh, back then, uh, if you were performing in Carolina or Change under the Obama administration in a pre-Brexit uh, society, would that be a different show? Do you think a different performance or not? No, because then it's about telling the character's truth. Do you know what I mean? So as long as you're telling the character's truth, that's the story. If the story finds a way to mirror society, which is what I always hope that it will do, that it's not just always a personal story, but that you can hold it up in society and go, I see where that fits in within the social remit, within economics, within society morals, then that is always the added bonus. Do you know what I mean? That you, you can people can relate to it in some way but it you know as the performer it is about dealing with your character's journey and hoping that that then inspires or resonates with someone um what was what was brilliant about doing caroline or change and i can't remember who this person was because i'm so bad with names but um there was a board member who worked oh god my memory is so bad i think he worked in law doing something oh god help me (laughs) and whatever it was he changed i think it was social something and he changed whatever social something was to social justice and that was because he'd watched caroline and thought in my position i feel that i can do something and it has woken me to a point where i'm like okay i need to make a change and so i'm going to make a change in what it is that i do with my work in order to help that's the kind of stuff we need. You know, people going, what can I do to make that change? And if we all go, what can I do to make that positive change? Because it doesn't happen by itself. You know, one person can make a difference, but then there's that whole thing of it takes a village to raise a child. So let's be the village, man. And people need to be asking that question, what can I do more regularly, can't yeah. they, more frequently? Sharon, you mentioned Blues in the Night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a question for you, which is, to me, it seems so impressive that you are, as of next week, rehearsing in the daytime mm-hmm. and then coming here to the Young Vic to perform uh, uh, in Death of a Salesman. Is it difficult for you? It seems impressive to you. It's foolish to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first part of the question, how do you not be so exhausted? How do you keep energy? But secondly, is it difficult to kind of put your brain into different compartments and go, OK, now I'm blues in the night and now I'm Death of a Salesman? That's the way it has to be. Yeah. You have to go, that's that. Because I don't want to start saying my blues lines <laughs> in the middle of sales. <laughs> but it is, you do have to compartmentalise and find little boxes and ways of putting things. And what I've, what I've tried to do this week is just start familiarising myself again with the blues music while I'm travelling in. Not going, I'm actively trying to learn this at the moment because I know it's, it's in there, I've done it before. But just... You know, okay, old friend. You know, let's let's push my foot back into these slippers and see how they feel before I'm in with the rest of the company. Just so I, I, I get ahead of myself a bit because when I was doing Caroline last time, I was actually doing the life. So I was performing the life and learning Caroline during the day, and it got to a point where it was just about to break me, <laughs> and I thought I'm not doing that again. I won't do that again. And here I am <laughs> doing it again and and loving it, actually. And both sets of cast 
are beautiful. Do you know what I mean? There are some friends that I've known on this cast and made friends and blues is something I'm going to be doing with my family. Clive is someone who's been in my life 30 years. Susie's my wife. Debbie Carp is someone that I admire and respect and worked with. Gemma's done blues with us before. So, you know, it's it's wonderful to be in that position, you know, and it's it can be feast or famine in this business. And when you're feasting, baby, I put myself at that table, I pick up my knife and fork and I dig in and I enjoy. <laughs> you deserve that. Yeah, sure. and then, you know, um, September, I shall go away and just sit down for a month and get ready to start salesman again. So at the fresh. moment, it's like you've got two families. You've got a daytime family, and yeah. what an incredible family that is, including literally your family, yeah. actually. My um, actual family. <laughs> <laughs> and then you come here, and you've got a second set of family, including a Just recently, actually, who played his mum in EastEnders, yeah, actually. So yeah. in a way, they, there's another layer of, of family there. Um, that must beautiful. be nice. That's I mean, When I found out Riz was doing it, it was, he's going to be my son again. <laughs> and I felt so proud of that. I just think as... As a performer and as an artist, watching his career grow and soar and watching him as an artist grow and, 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 and soar gives me such deep joy. And, you know, this, this cast for Salesman is glorious, absolutely glorious. But as the character of Linda, I spend my whole interaction is with my boys. And my boys, oh, glorious absolutely glorious and break me each night each one of them Wenzel Martins Rinzei every night I'm just like wow what what an honour and a privilege to be on stage with these fantastic performers and generous glorious gorgeous people it's you know I'm very very lucky mm. very 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 lucky but we mentioned there that... Uh, My fan's going. <laughs> that go. noise you can hear is uh, Sharon's number two fan, because I am, of course, her number one fan. Oh, there he is. <laughs> there he is, my darling. And he's not telling you, we are in the smallest of booths. And it's getting hot in here, and I ain't taking off no clothes, honey. So here comes the fan. I might, but... Okay, we'll, we'll <laughs> you got your shorts on, babe. <laughs> I knew we were doing this. That's why I remember this morning. Um, but how do you keep... Your, how, what, how do you manage self-care? How do you ensure that you don't suffer from burnout? Because you've got your, now, as of next week, rehearsing daytime, still performing uh, in Death of a Salesman in the evening, uh, then performing blues in the night, and then returning to Death of a Salesman for the West End transfer. That's a whole lot of performing you're doing with some um, heavy roles and, and big, and big mm. performances. Sleep. Sleep. As much sleep as possible. Sunday... I no alarm Sunday's great because it's a no alarm day so then the body just automatically goes okay when I decide I will get up make a little breakfast and then it's about planning what we eat for dinner cooking that sit down it's just about sitting down that's all I'm going to do and in September when Blues is finished taking a month off I'm just going to sit down <laughs> <laughs> sit down and cook that's all I'm going to do sit down cook eat sleep that's it so that when I get back to Salesman in October, I feel refreshed and ready to come with it again. Because food's important in your life, isn't it? And oh, the, and the preparation I, am, I am such a foodie, such a foodie. And that's that's my mother's gift to me. Do you know what I mean? My, there was always a pot on in our house and it was always just in case somebody came round. And that's, that's 
how you show love. That's how we show love. You know what I mean? You you cook and you you feed people. There's nothing to see someone sit down and eat a good plate of food. And, <laughs> yes, you, you feel yes, my work is done. And and also that that whole thing about communing with people and breaking bread together and laughing and chatting over a good meal. It's it's my favourite thing. You know, in my younger days, it was yes, it was all about the clubbing and going out <laughs> in Hackney in Tottenham. In Hackney in Tottenham, I yeah. used to rave at the Royalty in Tottenham. Very good, yeah. Um, a few places around Hackney. I remember many a night walking back from town. I would not do it now, <laughs> but walking back from town to Tottenham after a rave. But now it's about buying nice ingredients and thinking about what we can cook and looking at people's faces and, and chatting. And that gives me such pleasure, absolute pleasure. So, yeah, when I get you around to my house, we cook, baby, we cook. Because Sharon and I spoke briefly before this podcast started and I said that I watched your episode of Ready, Said He Cook as, <laughs> as preparation for this chat. You're the first guest I've ever had in this booth who I think has appeared on Ready, Said He Cook. <laughs> so I watched all of that episode. It was oh, great. God bless you. There we go. Uh, so that's how you self-care. And then you're returning to Death of a Salesman uh, for the West End transfer. I spoke to Wendell Pierce uh, for, the, for this program mm. uh, also this week and he described... The role of Willie Loman as the American Hamlet. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, like that, it's, like that. It, that's how kind of heavy it yeah, is as a role. It is. Um, what's it like playing Willie Loman? What what drew you to to that that role? Um, well, two sorry, things. Linda Loman. I, well, I, I thought <laughs> I'm good, but I'm not curve. that good. <laughs> that's a curveball. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, um, I just the the, the character of Linda. When I've seen her before, she's always been this kind of worrisome woman. Um, seeming very, very small and slightly terrified and afraid of Willie. And I kind of, when, when I talked about it with Marianne, just, just looking at the text, she's always talking about her love for him. He is the most important, he's the, the dearest man in the world. I won't have anyone anyone making him feel low and unwanted and blue. Um, Willie, you're the handsomest man in the world. No, I'm not, Linda. To me, you are. So her love for him is deep, deep, and is what sees her through his demise. Do you know what I mean? Is that she, her faith in him is never shaken. Her love for him is never shaken. And I wanted that, I wanted audiences to see that, that deep love affair with this woman has with this belligerent, irascible man, do you know what I mean? That she knows is difficult and loves him all the more for it. And that was really important to me that that love was seen on stage because that's a part of their relationship that I'd not really seen stressed and it just felt important for, for people to see that and to be doing it was with Wendell, who is very, very, very easy to love. It, <laughs> it's just it's just a joy to do, an absolute joy. I mean, Wendell and I have a, a mutual friend in Clark Peters. Clark I've known since I was 17 and Wendell and Clark have done The Wire and they've done Tremaine. They've built up this wonderful friendship. And Wendell says that when he knew that I was doing it, Clark just said, you know, take care of each other. She'll take care of you and take care of each other. Which meant that when we met, we already had this this friendship because someone who loves us both has gone, you're going to be cool. 
and it's it's I joy is a word that I use a lot but it is an absolute joy to come to work every day and tell this story with this group of people and it's as much as the show is very emotional and takes you on this roller coaster and yet of an evening sometimes I like okay you know and I'm not even doing what Willie's doing you know what I mean it's 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 his Hamlet it's it's a big thing but to to have that family bond and and for it to feel so strong and glorious actually makes playing it easier in a way it's not I don't think don't feel that I'm having to dig deep to find the love for this family it's there in spades and then everything else just leaps off the page because of that sometimes it's quite difficult to watch though your relationship with Willie especially when he's telling you to to shut up mm. or and you know and stop interrupting mm. and you can you can sense that can't you from the audience mm. that they are on your side in all of good this. <laughs> 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 oh, we are yeah, we are yeah, Sharon yeah, I promise yeah, you yeah, yeah. Um, that's great what um, I'd like to ask you uh, so I'm going to do that bit again because that was a really uh, weird follow-up. Uh, Sharon, I'm going to ask you a question that uh, I asked Jenna Russell, who I think you performed with in Soho Cinders. Yes, about, like, yes, couple, couple yes. Oh, God, that feels like ages ago. <laughs> Eons. Eons. Another great musical, actually. Uh, Soho Cinders. And Amy Lennox. Oh, God, she was great. Sorry, I'm digressing. <laughs> Go on. Um, so when Jenna was in Fun Home here, I mm. said to her, and she obviously, just like you, is a stage royalty and has performed in a large number of uh, uh, musicals on the West End and, and off West End. I said to her, if there was a role, male or female, that has not yet been presented to you, uh, what would it be? I've offered you Willie Loman earlier. Oh, Willie Loman. <laughs> he can have that. <laughs> um, gosh. Uh, I think... Well, firstly, let me talk about the role that I would have loved to have done. So I remember being quite young, in my bed, really, really late at night, and this song came into my psyche. So I'd left the radio on, and it was Jennifer Holliday doing And I'm Telling and, um, yeah, and I'm Telling You, I'm not going. And I was just like, what is that? What is that song? And went out of my way to find out everything I could about Dreamgirls. And so... My whole career up until that point had been like, oh, to play Effie. Oh, God, I just love to play Effie. Never came here. Never, ever blooming, blooming well came here. And then when it did come, too old to play Effie. Too old. So that's that's one of the the dream roles that I would have oh, battened down anybody's door, <laughs> bashed them out of the way to get to do. But that's not going to happen now. Um... I honestly don't know. I think Mame is, is a, a role I'd like to do, just because I just think it'd be interesting. Um, anything that if Quincy Jones was writing it as a musical, then I'd be right there. So if Quincy Jones happens to hear <laughs> this and wants to write a musical, then yeah, well, I'd be all over there. So, uh, well, if we can, him, if we can get him round, that'd be it. But I, I think at the moment... No, I'm 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 quite happy to see what is is thrown my way. Um, Susie does call me. I'm I'm not really one of these big ambitious. I've got to do this kind of people. I'm very happy seeing what's around the corner and seeing what comes. Dreamgirls is probably the only show that I've really really wanted to do that I haven't been able to do. What I have been lucky enough to do is a life. Um, Sonia was a role that I grew up with 
loved all the music and it's that psycho and it's just wonderfulness and knew all the tracks but never ever thought it would come here like dream girls and then it did and i got sonia and i was just over the moon because i just think she's such a fantastic character you know she's witty and world wise and just the, the, this mother hen and but she doesn't take any shit and she, she i just love doing her and then, Oldest Profession is probably one of the most fabulous numbers. <laughs> it's such a great routine. Um, so I've been lucky enough to do roles that have really fulfilled me and and are a joy to do. And you know some things that pe- people probably wouldn't necessarily. I mean, I'm not the first person that you come to think I want to get a prostitute. Let's Sharon do Clark. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know? So that that is that is that's been just glorious. Whatever anyone wants to throw my way, I'm up for. I'm up for. I'm glad to hear that. And do you think the Hackney Empire stage might uh, be graced by your presence anytime soon? Hopefully. It's not going to be this Christmas because I I should be doing doing Death of a Salesman, wouldn't I? Oh, can't you do both? Well, hopefully. (laughs) My my wife says that she's made my Christmas career. Mm. And um, if I'm not physically on the stage, then I've been a mouse, a harp, um... A camel. A mirror? Have you ever been a mirror? <laughs> Have I been a mirror? No. No, because the, 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 that was Mother Goose and I was Charity, the good witch in that. I was physically there. But, you know, Susie will find some animal, mineral, vegetable, something person for me <laughs> to be in the panto so that I, I, I will be there with the family over Christmas at some point. And who knows? Sharon, yes. I promise you I'm going to release you from this uh, sauna booth very, very soon. <laughs> I started to call back down again, so I'm all right. Hang on. There's that number two fan again. Uh, you are known, uh, justifiably, of course, as the woman with the golden voice, with the, with the velvet voice. Oh, that is very nice. Do you think that even I could sing a tune? Is it possible to teach anybody to sing? I think it's possible to teach most people just not me to hold a tune <laughs> to hold a tune if there if there isn't a natural mm. inclination um i think as human beings as we all love to sing whether we feel that we can sing or not we all we all love to sing it's just something that's in our psyches and um i haven't been there for ages because work has taken me away but how long ago is it now it's probably seven or eight years um started the hackney empire community choir um, a community choir that we don't audition for because I I wanted people to be able to come together in a space to sing even if they'd been told they shouldn't sing or they couldn't sing because I think singing together in a group is one of the most glorious things that can happen to you as a human being and you know when we when we gather together at football matches and whatever people always tend to burst into some kind of song And being part of a wall of sound and knowing that you are helping to create that wall of sound, watching people's faces in the choir when you know that they've not sung in the choir before and they're going, well, you know, I've not really sung. And and it's like, well, come on, come in. It's a safe space. We, you know, we might squeal, we might squawk, but we'll get there in the end. We'll, We'll shape everybody up. And watching people's faces when the harmonies start coming together and they know that they are helping to produce that sound and just seeing people start to beam and really go with the joy of singing. Yeah, yeah, we all sing. And I think sometimes some of us just need a little more help because we've not been trained or we don't have the 
natural voice to start with but I just think as 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 human beings it's something that we love to do and every child is singing their own song you know even when they can't talk they're singing away yeah I think it's one of the great joys of life um as a performer or not you know I've been lucky enough that one of the things that people say to me is God I wish I could sing people never say to me oh God I wish I could act but they say God I wish I could sing and I think we should all be singing You've been listening to Off Book with Dan, Dan the Man. Oh my God, all of my dreams have just come true. Sharon D. Clark, it's been <laughs> such an absolute joy chatting an to you. Absolute so. pleasure. Right back at you, Dan, darling. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Off Book by The Young Vic. If you'd like to hear more conversations with some of the most exciting people in theatre, subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes.